Welcome to the Holistic Wellness and Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kimberly Ann Marsden, holistic psychologist, astrologer, and Reiki master. On today's show, we will be learning all about homeopathy, what it is, how it works, and how it can promote health, wellness, and healing in you. I am joined by an incredible homeopathic clinician who has many years of experience, and she's going to share with us some incredible stories from her clinical practice, as well as the evolution of homeopathy. And to top it all off at the end, she's going to give us some ideas of how people can use remedies starting today. What can you go right out to the health food store and start using remedies for things like injuries, insect bites, teething. So I hope you'll join me for this incredibly informative episode. Here we go. Hello, hello. Today I have with me Lynn Ferrugia. She is a clinical homeopath and a health educator, and she walks with people on their healing journeys and provides them just so much wisdom. So I'm so excited to have you here today, Lynn. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. Thank you for inviting me. All right. Well, I want to jump right in today, and I am so excited to have people learn, if they don't already know, what homeopathy is. So can you just, we're going to start with the real bones here. What Mm -hmm. is homeopathy? So homeopathy is a system of medicine that was... Um, that came about in the early 1700s by a pharmacist named Samuel Hahnemann. He lived in what is ne- what was then sort of East Germany or um, that part of the world, part of Germany. And he was working at a time when medicine was rather crude and and now we would think of it as rather dangerous, you know, where leeches were used and mercury and sulfur and arsenic were used in their material doses to help heal the, you know, the, the ills of the day. And, and those medicines can be quite toxic in their material dose. And so he decided that he would study, he he was curious about how medicine worked in the first place. So he um, took it upon himself to dilute quinine which is made from the chinchona bark, which was used as a remedy for malaria in the 1700s. Malaria was a a problem then. And he decided to start um, taking it himself to see what would happen because he was trying to understand how medicine actually works on the physical body. So he took quinine and in its material dose, he took it over a period of days and discovered that he, as a healthy person, began to develop the symptoms of malaria, which are intermittent fever, perspiration, diarrhea, weakness. And he thought, well, this is interesting. We're giving people a substance that will cause in a healthy person the same symptoms that it's curing when we give it to a sick person, which was a revelation. Mm-hmm. And there's always been a theory that like cures like, but had never really been really looked at as as closely as he did. And so then he decided, wow, if this is creating these symptoms in me, what if I would dilute it so I don't have to take so much of it? So he started to dilute the, the substance 
Um, he would he made a tincture with alcohol and the quinine, the chinchona bark. He um, diluted it ten times, and he diluted it a hundred times. So he would take one part of the quinine to a hundred parts water. He shook it up a hundred times, took one drop from that into another hundred ninety nine drops of water, one drop of the substance, shook it up a hundred times, and did this hundreds of thousands of times until there was nothing left of the material dose in the the bottle, the formula. So it was 99 parts water to one part of the substance that had been diluted by that time so that nothing would actually show up of the material dose when you looked at it under a microscope. But the molecular structure was imprinted on the water molecule to make that substance you know, a vibration that actually could still heal people from that quinine bark. So he experimented, he had nine children and he gave that formula to all nine of his children. And he wanted to see if they would develop the symptoms of malaria when taking a dose that had nothing left of the quinine. And they did, they started. So after a period of time, these healthy people started to develop the symptoms of malaria, just like he did when he took it in the natural, in the uh, material dose, when he first started this experiment. And so he came to the conclusion that all the medicines that they were using at that time could be reduced to um, a medicine that didn't have as much of the material dose in it or any of it, and it would still be healing. So it wouldn't ravage the body because if you give mercury to a person as mercury, and we know it will cause, you know, gum deterioration, mental illness, perspiration, diarrhea, you know, mercury poisoning is real as we know with dental issues and mercury poisoning from fish. So, and that was a big medicine used back then for syphilis and flus. And so mercury was a remedy. He started to test out sulfur was one arsenic um, was another one. So these were very common medicines used. And so he went through this very methodical practice of reducing the material dose into something that was energetic and using that to heal people for what ailed them during that time. He um, was laughed at, people couldn't believe it, but eventually people started to see the wisdom in this. And he traveled um, to France, he married, a, he divorced or his wife died, his first wife died, I think, or divorced, I don't remember. But then he married a French woman who was a homeopath too. And together they helped to spread the, the word of how this miraculous system of medicine was working. And then it came to the United States in the late 1700s. Um, and during the, the War of 1812, there were homeopathic first aid kits during the civil war. There were um, homeopathic first aid kits that people used historically. Wow. I didn't know that. So cool. Homeopathic hospitals were built um, in the 1800s, Hahnemann hospital in Philadelphia. There were hospitals across the country that were dedicated to homeopathic um, practices. And so doctors at that time could practice both what we call allopathic medicine at this time and homeopathy and herbal medicine, you know, they were integrating really all the, all the healing tools that they had in one practice. And so that was the height of homeopathy in the U S and then the Spanish flu came and homeopathy was hugely successful in treating people during that epidemic. I don't know the statistics, but I do know that 
they had much better rates of success and less mortality when people were going to see the homeopathic doctors. Um, And there are all these studies in Philadelphia and New York with that epidemic of the patients who were under the care of a homeopathic physician did much better than an allopathic doctor. And then after that, um, the AMA came into existence and decided that any homeopathic physician could not also practice allopathy. So there was this great divide. I didn't know that. And it caused sort of the demise of homeopathy in the, you know, in the 1900s from 19, I think it was 1924 was a, I don't know if that's exactly right. There was a thing called the Flexner report, which decided, you know, at that time, because medicine started to be owned by pharmaceutical companies and medicine began to have, um, um, patents attached to it, right? So with homeopathy, you can't have a patent. You know, it's a natural substance. You can't you can't own you can't own um, an anemone flower, right? Which is pulsatilla. So it became a problem, and it became outlawed, truly outlawed, um, f- from the 1920s. And then there was a resurgence in the 50s and 60s. In the 50s, it became a little more. It was underground, but there were a lot of people practicing it. Um, parents were practicing it with their children. Farmers were using it. I mean, it was still alive, but not as active as it had been earlier in the century. And then the 60s, when there was the back to the you know earth movement and farmers and hippies and you know people who were really they had more of an understanding of what the ecological impacts of pharmaceuticals were on not only our bodies, but on the planet, they started to use more um, homeopathic medicines. And there was a little bit of an uptick. And then in the seventies, it was a little bit um, more popular eighties to nineties. And now we're at a place where the FDA is trying to squash again, homeopathic medicines. Um, And it is a shame that, homeopathy is a threat to the big companies, big pharma, big government. I don't know what it's a threat to because it shouldn't be. There's money. money. Yeah, it's money. (laughs) So so that's the sort of not, I don't have the dates exact, but the general story of homeopathy and, and in the rest of the world, homeopathy is respected, revered, and used. India uses it. Um, They're, hospitals in India that are homeopathic hospitals during this recent COVID pandemic, they gave out remedies as prophylactic medicines in, in many of the States to, to curb um, COVID Um, in Europe, in Germany, Italy, France, Spain, it is used throughout doctors, you know, MDs use homeopathic medicines. There's no conflict at all. In the UK, the queen has had her own personal homeopath for as long as she's been alive. There's always been a homeopath associated with the monarch, whoever was ruling. Oh, wow. They you have. know so many cool facts. I have a question though. Do you know when you brought up COVID, do you know of any studies that showed how the, the efficacy of the remedies in India or any of the European countries? There are, um, there's a homeopathic research Institute and uh-huh. they have the studies I can out, you know what? Kim, that's something I can do for you. I will get that information to you. So you'll have Oh, it. that'd be fun. I can put that on the website, everyone. You can look that, but I'm guessing that they did very well. They did very well. Yeah. Um, Brazil, South America uses homeopathy. Um, and there have been studies that 
often they would use homeopathy with other things as well, whether it's ivermectin or herbal medicine, um, Ayurvedic medicine, you know, in different parts of the world, they would use their own traditional medicines with the remedies. So it's hard to tease out exactly what was homeopathic, but you know, in that way, it leads us to understand that there isn't only one way to get well, you know, Mm -hmm. and that if we use the traditional methods that people have known for centuries, there's no reason not to incorporate that into other medicines instead of thinking in such a black and white way that it's only pharmaceuticals that can heal us. Well, Um, and the thing is, what about side effects? Let's just go right there. What about side effects with homeopathy versus pharmacology? So homeopathy is energy medicine. When we take it, there's nothing left of the actual substance. So the only way that it works is if the person who takes the remedy resonates with the energy of the substance. It has to it has to reverberate in that way. And so there can be no side effect from someone who, who is not resonating with the medicine. If they are resonating with the medicine and they have been suffering with, let's say, a low-grade fever, they haven't felt well for a few days, they have a fever of 99, they feel achy, tired, I want their body to raise that temperature a bit so that the body recognizes that they're sick and that their white blood cells will kick in and they'll be able to fight the flu or whatever it is they have. So in that way, they may develop a fever. I don't call that a side effect. I call that a healing response. Mm -hmm. Their body heals, their body goes into action. Um, Their body knows what to do and they start to make white blood cells. Their fever goes up, their temperature goes up. The remedy carries them through that and their body will start to heal, you know, naturally on its own. So there are no side effects that someone hasn't had that, that will be given to that person by taking the medicine. But like what Hahnemann did, the, you know, the founder of this, if you take the remedy when you're not sick and you take it over a long period of time, you can develop those symptoms that it is used to treat in a sick person. So I wouldn't advise taking medicine if you don't know, you know, what it's for just to see if you develop symptoms. Right. But for people who think that it is nothing, it is often an interesting um, experiment, you know, to take a remedy and see how you feel if you keep taking it because you will develop symptoms. So there we know it's not only placebo that helps to heal. And I'm a big believer in placebo. You know, I, I think anything that can help us heal is fine. Like, I agree. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. (laughs) It doesn't doesn't matter who gets credit. I mean, you want to know where it comes from just so you could repeat it if needed, but at the end of the day, if healing occurs, healing occurs. And that's the goal, you know, that's the ultimate goal with it. But like you're talking about, this is an energy medicine. And so it's working with an individual's vibration. It's working with the individual's, um, experience. So Can you tell us a little bit about how you as a homeopath, you figure out what's needed for someone? Sure. So my job is never boring. Every day is a new, is a new person to try to understand and and to try to help. And with homeopathy, the, the, every person comes in with the same, they will receive the same intake from me, which is we have a conversation. We, you know, I sit and listen to the person telling me their story. And their story includes the symptoms that they're experiencing currently, you know, the patterns that their body exhibits in terms of um, what hurts them, when it happens, how it happens, what the pain feels like, where the pain is located. 
And then I ask them questions about how it makes them feel, you know, how it affects their spirit. And then we go into the history of the person, the health history and the emotional history of the person, the mental history of the person, any past traumas that they've experienced, because our body holds on to, to memories, physical memories, emotional memories, traumas, and all of those things impact how we are today. And even if we don't feel something today that happened 20 years ago, it still has left an imprint on us. And healthy people won't, they, it won't come up in this story when we're sitting together. They won't say if they're healthy and, you know, they might say, oh, I was in a car accident and my neck has never been the same since then, but that's not my biggest issue. But their big story is that they come in, let's say it's a woman in menopause. She comes in, she has night sweats, she's exhausted, she's not sleeping well, heavy periods, she's losing words. And she says, oh, you know, all this old stuff that I used to have is really bothering me. And that happens when we're weaker, you know, when we're not as strong and vibrant as we want to be, the old stuff creeps in. And as she tells me her story, I begin to understand where she's stuck, you know, that her hormones are out of whack, which is, you know, in menopause, this happens that our progesterone and estrogen change, but in a healthy person, it should happen in a way that they can cope without feeling depleted, without feeling rageful, without feeling um, completely sick. Some women feel physically fluish. And so I want to get them back to their healthy place where menopause is not a pathology. It is a stage of life. And in understanding their history, I begin to understand what they need, right? So if the biggest complaint is they have road rage, they have heavy periods, and they can't sleep because they wake up in the night, those are the symptoms I'm going to look at. And I'm going to look at how it affects them during the day. You know, are they exhausted? Are they eating more? You know, what are their food cravings? How does everything in their life fit into how they're experiencing their their illness or their, um, their sort of disharmony. You know, we call disease, like disease is really dis-ease. Mm -hmm. And when we're out of an, out of easement, um, you know, being at ease, that's when, well, that's when we develop symptoms. And so, you know, my goal is to get someone to a resilient place so that they wake up in the morning, they might have menopause, but they're not depleted. They can get up. They know that they might have a hot flash or two, but they're not overtaken by their symptoms. And, and the listening to the story is my favorite part because <laughs> when people tell the story, they begin to heal themselves. They begin to understand where they're stuck. They begin to understand how they got there. They're beginning to understand their own stressors, their own vulnerability, if you will. And in that vulnerability is where we find the strength. When that crack is widened a bit and the light shines through, we find a person's humanity. We find, you know, what makes them really individual and special. And, and how often do we get to talk about ourselves in that way without someone judging? There's, you know, for me, the most interesting and curious symptom is what's going to lead me to the right remedy. If someone tells me that they have constipation on the full moon and their poop is white, there's probably five remedies in that um, <laughs> section of my book to look up. Um, and that will lead me to the remedy, right? So the, the constellation of symptoms gets me to the picture of the remedy that that person needs.
and it has to be holistic for this to work. It's a it's holistic medicine. It's by body, mind, and spirit. It's, you know, the physical symptoms will also correlate with the emotional and mental symptoms. And that, that picture has to fit the remedies picture. And that's beautiful because that's how we're made. I mean, it's really, I think that's one of the most beautiful things about homeopathy is that it honors our essence. It honors our essence as spiritual beings in physical bodies that have emotions and, and thoughts and, you know, physical complaints, like you're saying, but it really takes into account all of a person instead Mm -hmm. of parts, which is what we see a lot in allopathic medicine. Even when you look at the fact that physicians are so specialized. I always puzzle by that because I'm like, well, if you're treating my shoulder, but you're a shoulder specialist, what about the rest of me? <laughs> you know, the fact that I have shoulder pain may be connected to something. Well, it could be connecting as, as we know, most likely there's an emotional component, but it's, but could also be connected to some other imbalance in the body. So mm-hmm. I, I love what you were saying about the uniqueness of the person's story and the holistic approach to it. And I think one of the things I also just wanted to go back to that you mentioned, because I think it's so important is that when people are telling their story, they're really awakening to their own story because they may not have taken the time to really focus on it in that way when you're guiding them with questions and, and helping them see the big picture of it. They may just see the pieces of it, the pieces of you know, the constipation is separate from the road rage is separate from the hot flash or whatever all the different issues are. And in telling their story, they awaken to themselves, which is just a beautiful process. And I would just like to add to something that you just said about the emotional state, right? I, I don't think that our emotions will cause something. I think that the emotions and the physical body are so connected that they happen at the same time right? That there is a, a, a vulnerability anywhere in the physical body when we have an emotional reaction, wherever our weakest spot is. And that's where we feel the emotion sometimes. So it's not so much, I don't think that, I don't know, that the shoulder might be caused by a grief, right? It could be that the grief and the shoulder, when we experience the grief, our shoulder is affected because that's the weak spot in us. Um, and that helps to point the way of, oh, okay, we need a shoulder, a remedy that will affect the shoulder, but also includes the grief. And I can give you an example of how we're not so separate. I had a case this morning of a man who had sleep issues. He had gone to the his GP. So they sent him to a sleep doctor, went to the sleep doctor, went to the hospital and had a sleep study. Now, nobody asked him any questions about anything else, just that he woke up and said, I'm so tired in the morning and I have these crazy dreams all night long. And um, I don't I don't feel well in the day. So we sat together a couple of months ago and I asked him to tell me about his days. And it turned out that he drank about 10 cups of coffee a day. He never thought anything of drinking 10 cups of coffee a day. He was from Switzerland and he had coffee in the morning and then he had coffee 10 and then he had coffee at lunch and then he had coffee after lunch and he had coffee after dinner. You know, I mean, it was just sort of part of his culture, he said, but nobody ever asked him about his nutritional, you know, life. And so I said to him, well, I'm not sure you actually have any sleep problems. I think you have a coffee problem. You know, I said, so I don't even want to give you a medicine. I just want you to stop coughing for a month. So he stopped the coffee for a month and it turns out 
he was 75% better. You know, I mean, this is, this is something that didn't need a sleep study, doesn't need a CPAP machine, doesn't need 15, you know, like they offered him so many visits to different doctors. He was going to, he went to the neurologist. He went to the, um, so he had an EEG, he had the sleep study, he had the GP, he had, um, oh, who else did he go to? Oh, a psychiatrist, because they said his wild dreams, not one person asked him what his days were like, not one. And how, you know, how much caffeine he, he drank in a day. And so he was so grateful and so happy. I didn't do anything but listen really carefully and inquire about like, why was he drinking so much coffee? And the interesting thing was, um, he said it just, he had been doing this since he was 10 or 12. You know, I mean, this is just part of his culture. And so the dreams became less violent. The dreams were more relaxed and peaceful. He woke up. He still needed naps now and then. And he he's in his 70s. So he's been having these sleep issues for his whole life. Wow. And of course, it starts to affect you, you know, over time, cumulatively. But he's been such an interesting person to travel this path with because he's so grateful that it didn't include another medicine. You know, he's on high blood pressure medicine. He's on, he has type two diabetes. He's on, um, they'd given him some antidepressants too for the sleep stuff. And I said, you don't, you know, like, I don't think that's necessary. This is not a depression. This is not anxiety. This is not depression. This is coffee and coffee is a medicine. We know coffee is a medicine. Yeah. So that's just one of the ways that I didn't have to do much except to really sit with the person and understand. And I said to him, you know, it would be one thing if the coffee wasn't affecting you, but it's affecting you. So it has to, it has to go. And he said, he doesn't even miss it. He didn't even get a caffeine withdrawal headache. That's surprising. That's what I was thinking when you were nothing. saying that. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Cause his body was ready to let it go. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I, I, you did a lot more than listen. What I heard you saying is really you connected to him as a human being. And that's yeah. the power of listening in a way where you connect as a human and are trying to understand the person and be present in that moment with them. And like you said before, you know, walk with them on their healing journey. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think one of the strengths of holistic approaches is that holistic practitioners for the most part are trying to understand the complete person. So you're going to ask those types of questions or frame things globally that way, because you want to understand the person's experience completely. Mm -hmm. And he got his power back in that moment when he realized he could heal himself. Yep. He, he felt so much better in knowing that he doesn't have to go back to the sleep doctor. He doesn't have to go to the psychiatrist. He doesn't have to go to the GP. He, he feels so much better. And now he wants to go back and have them reduce his medicines, his other medicines, high blood pressure and his diabetes medicine, because he's so much healthier. His digestion is, I mean, you can imagine everything is better. Wow. And yeah. it was just a matter of really him. He knew he had to, he knew there was a way to get better. He trusted himself and he didn't want the CPAP machine. And he just couldn't understand why they couldn't figure it out because he didn't feel it was something, you know, physiological. And it was more, you know, he's putting something in his body that's creating this. Yeah. It's not his body, you know, so his body did exactly what it should have done with that much caffeine, it kept him awake. Yeah. Cause it's a stimulant. So that's, what's <laughs> that's the natural reaction to that, but that's and something that he, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, we see this with kids when they come in and their parents say to me, oh, my kid is so tired during the day. They can't, you know, they say that they don't sleep at night. They're up on their screens, but they might also be taking ADD medicine, you know, ADHD medicine. And those are stimulants. And we have to understand that sleep will be affected. We can't expect somebody to have good sleep if they're on stimulants. Right. Or if they're bombarded with blue light before they sleep and they're doing things that are jacking up their nervous system right before they go to sleep. I talk with clients about that all the time when they say they have sleep issues. So what do you do before you go to bed? (laughs) You know, you know, and And then you hear about what they're doing and you get a sense. Yeah. You get a sense of what, you know, about what, you know, it, it's just that education piece of connecting people back to themselves and making them aware of what are you doing to help your nervous system to calm down before bed? Are you doing something that's going to calm your system or it's going to heighten the arousal? You know, if you heighten the arousal, don't expect yourself to sleep, you know, go have a party. Don't try and sleep. That's not the way, you know, that's true. That's true. And so for me, the beauty of this person in his seventies, finding his own way was just, you know, made my day. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's an incredible story. That's what I love about this job is that it's, you know, being inspired by a person's ability to see their own capacity for healing. Yeah. Because we all, we all have it. We all have that within us. And it's, I think it's really about rediscovering it and understanding that it's there and that we can use other people like you, me, other people to help guide us back to it. But ultimately we have to take responsibility for ourselves, for our own care, and understanding that our body really does know what to do. It is very divinely inspired and created and is very innately intelligent and will do what it needs to do when we basically get out of the way, <laughs> get out of the way and don't put the blocks in the way. Exactly. And a person will reveal what they need based on their symptom picture. Mm-hmm. And the more I allow that space to exist in our in our meeting, in our case taking, whether it's on the phone or in person, the more they see their own patterns, the more people are awake then, because I'm not judging anything and I'm letting the conversation go where they take me, the more they can see that perhaps some of the choices they've made are contributing to why they feel unwell. And and they may notice at that time too, where they want the most support. Mm -hmm. And So someone may come in with eczema, you know, an itchy rash on their elbows and say, and as they're telling me how itchy it is, they might express in that moment, oh my gosh, this itch feels like my life. Like I have an itch to change something. I don't like my job. I'm itching to change. You know, it's like it becomes the itch is representative of everything that's going on in their life. And when they begin to express that the healing begins, you know, there is a exponential healing that happens by them recognizing that. And then I, I might suggest a remedy, a supplement, something, and the healing begins. I mean, people will leave before they even take anything and say, oh my gosh, I can, I already feel better. Just in understanding myself, I feel better. Yeah. We have a, and we have a culture where we expect healing to happen quickly. And healing is a slow unwinding of patterns, of practices, of ways of being and thinking and our thoughts inform our physical body. So when we begin to understand that we can begin to change those thoughts. Yeah. 
And then it all unravels together. But like you're saying, it really comes back to the awareness. You can't release something, whether that's stored in emotion, stored in your body or a physical symptom that's there to give you a message of some sort, bringing your awareness. That's what the messages are doing with the, the symptoms. They're really, I believe that all those symptoms are messages for us to understand. Exactly. Our, the wisdom of our body and I'm just trying to get our attention. It's hello, pay attention over here, pay attention over here. And it's no accident where it occurs. You know, there are reasons why it is where it is because it has a specific message. And the, the question, but the thing is, like you were saying, is that awareness allows you to ex- hopefully accept and then release because it's the blockages that prevent that release. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have any awareness or acceptance, then it can't go anywhere. The symptoms can't go anywhere. But the minute you start to make yourself aware, then the unwinding and the working can can occur. And like you're saying, the body, the body knows what to do with it. Yeah. And the symptoms are our body's way of um, releasing in a way where the stress is held, you know, the mm-hmm. physical symptom. And the symptoms are not only the information that the body is giving us, but also the way that we can assess if someone is getting better. So when someone comes back to me after taking a remedy, they'll, they'll for, often they won't even mention the chief complaint that they had when they came. They'll say, oh, sometimes they'll say, no, nothing's changed. And I'll say, well, what about, you know, you had this itchy elbow. I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. You know, because <laughs> it's not, it's not prominent in their thoughts or in their, in their physical body. So it's not something to be healed, right? It's already done. It's like when remedies work, they very slowly, subtly, and gently just erase that by the body's ability to heal itself. And so then we come to the next layer of what needs to be healed. And whatever that is, is revealed at that second appointment. And so I take copious notes. You know, I write everything down while the person is speaking to me so that I can reflect back on that when I see them the second time. Mm-hmm. And the whole time. And, and I begin to notice patterns that the person has when we work together over time. And, and that's what I really enjoy is to see over years how much stronger, healthier, and resilient a person is with the help of remedies, with the idea that they know, they trust in their own innate healing capacities and the, men, the mechanism that our body has to heal. Yeah. And that's, that's really the word trust is really what it's about. You know, you have to, you have to surrender to it. You have to surrender and trust that the body is going to do what it needs to do to transform for your highest good. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Can we just switch gears for a minute? I just thought of something that might be interesting for people to understand. I know with remedies, what we've been mainly talking about is constitutional remedies and how you can work on a deep level. Can you talk about sort of more of the acute sure. uses for homeopathy in case anybody's gone to Whole Foods or any health food store and you see the, <laughs> the little white, tubes. yeah, yeah little blue tubes, tubes with the white tubes. pellets. <laughs> so the homeopathy works beautifully for acute injuries and illnesses. Um, the blue tubes are sold freely in health food shops. They're usually in a 12 or 30 C potency, 6 C sometimes. Um, and Boron, the, the company is a French company and they are distributed widely here. And if um, one 
one only has to experience Arnica, which is made from the mountain daisy, to know the power of a remedy. Arnica is used for bruising, um, accidents, you know, any time where there's a shock to the body, um, concussion, goose egg, whatever it is, um, you know, lacerations, any kind of fall injury a child might get. Two pellets of that three times a day for two or three days will immediately make the person feel better. And there are a number of remedies that are good for sprains and burns and cuts. And um, I'm trying to think of the other, oh, bee stings, splinters, all of those things. And those are remedies that are easily accessed. And in the health food stores, they usually have um, a little, we call it a materia medica, a, a list of the remedies and what they're used for. You can always go to the health food store, look it up. Um, you can look up bee sting. And it'll Apis. 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 Yes. <laughs> and you might need leadum, which is for puncture. Oh, yes. At the same time. And so you would alternate the leadum and the apis for mosquito bites, bee stings, tick bites, anything that would have uh, a red raised bump would have itchiness, heat, discomfort. And those two remedies would work beautifully together. And I think when people experience that, they're more willing to then go to deeper levels of health and healing once they've once they've had that in their own in their own bodies and and you know watch or for their children. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I started using homeopathy actually for my kids first and then saw the power. But I think the most powerful story I just want to share quickly with Arnica, and I've used homeopathy for many, many years now, but about six years ago. My son Austin had a uh, horrible bite from a dog. He was bit in the face by a dog and it was gruesome on so many levels. And I actually almost collapsed when I saw his face the first time, like where I was there when it happened. But then I gave him Arnica, you know, the 200 C and we did a bunch of remedies and Arnica was one of them. And I was literally, I remember waking up the next morning and being afraid to go look at his face. I literally was nervous and I could not believe how wonderful he looked because the swelling, the bruising, it was now it was mainly like the wound that where the cuts were that had to, you know, heal and the skin had to go back together. I couldn't believe it. And I've been using Arnica for years, but I never saw anything as traumatic as I saw after mm -hmm. that dog wound to the face, the facial lacerations and bruising and the Arnica was incredible. We used absolutely no drugs, the Arnica, because like you were saying before, the body with the support of the Arnica remedy healed itself. Exactly. And now emergency rooms, some emergency rooms in our country are using Arnica. Really? Mm -hmm. And sports doctors have always known the benefits of Arnica, but now some emergency room docs are using them. The oh, remedy. Wow. wow. I would love that. I never heard. Yeah. I carry my own kit all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's but, a good thing. Yeah. I think, and it's so inexpensive. You know, you yes. think about remedies and alternative medicine. Nobody's making a huge profit from these. They are accessible, they're inexpensive, they last forever, they are easy to carry. You don't have to get a prescription. And my goodness, you know, it challenges this idea that only the wealthy can get well, right? That right. only the wealthy can afford it. I mean, it's still money, but it's not exorbitant. It's not going to break the bank no. for most of us. Um, and 
and people get to feel that they have the power to, to move in the direction of health. Yeah. I mean, and that's the key thing is having that power and understanding there's tools for you to use. And mm-hmm. I, like you said, I love the fact that with homeopathy, it literally tells you this remedy is for this, this remedy is for that. Now, when you're looking for constitutional stuff for illnesses and stuff, you're better off, obviously going, it's a more complicated picture going with a homeopath, working with someone directly like you, but for everyday issues, you know, I remember using uh, a combination of chamomile and a bunch of things for colic when the kids were were little. And it's really, I mean, I think teething, chamomile for teething. Yeah. So many, um, so many great remedies can be utilized in early childhood and infancy. Unfortunately, the FDA has been on this kick of trying to eliminate certain remedies. And we have to be ever vigilant about, you know, making sure that we're sending letters stating that we use remedies. We, and I will send you, um, Kim, the, the information about where people can send letters of support. Yeah. Keep I didn't up. know that Lynn, I didn't know they were trying to get rid of remedies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They took Belladonna out of the teething tablet formula. What? Because mm-hmm. they said it was dangerous. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So these are the kind of concerns that, you know, that we have because the FDA doesn't realize that it's not a poison. It's been, you know, I mean, in on one hand, they say it's placebo. On another hand, they say it's dangerous. I don't know how in their minds they reconcile those two things, but that's what their concern is, right? That we're selling a false bill of goods or a dangerous bill of goods to the consumer. Um, and it's... I mean, it's hard not to think that it's money that's driving this. Yeah. But um, I try not to go down that path. You know, I don't want to go down the cynical path of, oh, that's what's happening. But, you know, we've got, we've, most importantly, I think, is that we have to keep this in the consumer's hands. We have to yeah. make sure it's legal and easily accessed. Right. Because it's an incredible tool. And it's, like you said, it's affordable. It doesn't have side effects. It has tremendous healing properties. So why would we not want to let people have that choice? Exactly. And it is a freedom to choose issue. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Lynn, thank you so much. I think we've thought so much that we've said, I think what we need to do is head over to the sparks of wisdom and give people just a couple little tidbits from all that to think about. So to the sparks of wisdom, we go. Sparks of wisdom, oh, 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 oh. Sparks of wisdom, oh, 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 oh. Okay, Lynn, let's have your sparks of wisdom for today. I wish that after listening to this, every person will remember that they are born with an innate intelligence, that their body knows what to do. They know how to heal and they have to tap into that when they're feeling sick or worried or out of sorts. And that that beginning of understanding themselves and their their capacity to heal will help lead the way down the path of wellness. And that, you know, calling a homeopath, calling an integrative health practitioner will help them to see that um, they have the tools and the materials that are necessary to get them back to a healthy place. Thank you, Lynn, for your time today. 
It's been so fun to talk with you. But what I would really appreciate is if you could let people know how they can get a hold of you because working with you is a true blessing. And I would love for more people to have access to you. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you about homeopathy and hopefully encourage people to um, start trusting themselves and their bodies and getting on the healing path. Um, If someone wants to work with me, they can call 609-466-1952. That's my office number. You can email me at lynnferugia at gmail.com, L-Y-N-F as in Frank, A-R-R-U-G-I-A at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to set up appointments with Zoom or, um, you know, phone in person. I'm in New Jersey. I'm always looking, I'm going to have to come down and visit you, Kim, so that I can see people in Florida. So um, I'm happy to help people on their, on their ways to getting better. Awesome. Yes. Yes. And I just want to say for people, keep your eyes out for a future episode because Lynn and I have decided that we are going to do another episode where we're going to talk all about acute remedies and basically a first aid using homeopathy for families. So this will be useful for everybody. That means everybody from kids to adults, how to use homeopathy in the, in your everyday life and in emergency situations. Thank you for listening. Always appreciate that. And until next time, be you, be love, and be present. <laughs>